Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, and it will be verse number 33. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse number 33. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, uh, and verse number 33. I've been thinking about all that the Lord has done these days, and certainly the old adage is accurate, time flies when you're having fun. And it seems like just five minutes ago I was landing in Jacksonville, Florida, and getting ready to start this revival meeting, and here we are in the closing and concluding service, but it does not have to be. It does not have to be the last night of revival. Revival can there linger, and revival can last. And that's up to you and I. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse number 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. I want us tonight to focus our heart's attention upon that pardoning place, that precious place, that pertinent place, that powerful place, Calvary. When we started the winter revival meeting on Sunday morning, I spoke to you on the subject, so I can see you're up a tree. Sunday night, five reasons I want far-reaching revival. Monday night, God doesn't want you and I to be a thermometer, but a thermostat. Tuesday night, one phrase that'll get you through all the storms of life. And if you were in the service last night, um, Wednesday night, you know that I spoke on the subject some things you better learn to say goodbye to. But focusing our heart's attention upon that place Calvary, for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, America in the shadow of Calvary. <laughs> Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If I know my heart, I want to be a blessing. But the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my Precious family, as I am away, give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request 
that should clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Never in the 245-year history of the land of the free and the home of the brave has she ever been at the critical crossroads where she stands this hour, and the answer remains in the influence and impact of the old rugged cross from Washington. The call is for political uh, renewal. From Wall Street, the cry is for economical reform. But from heaven's wellspring of love, forgiveness, and grace, the command is for scriptural revival. America in the shadow of Calvary. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, we find the crucifixion of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. Jesus is condemned by the judge, verses 1 through 25. Jesus is crucified by the Jews, verses 26 through 49. And then Jesus is claimed by Joseph, verses 50 through 56. It is well the physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Jesus uh, is crucified by the Jews, that a person sees that whatever a saint, a sinner, or a, even a set society needs is found in the scope and span of Christ's cross. Verse 33, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The sister verse of Luke 23, uh, 33, is Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Never forget our nation can only survive and thrive. And let me interject that I, for one, love America, and I, for one, am proud to be an American. If you're in this service tonight or watching by way of Internet and you don't love America and you're not proud to be an American, well, would you please let us know where you would like to go and we'll raise the money for you in the service tonight to get you a raft with lots of holes and ship you one way wherever you want to go. <laughs> and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. That's what they said. Never forget our nation, our nation, our nation can only survive and thrive as she stays uh, at ground zero of Golgotha. Now, you may miss everything that I preach tonight, but I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating, our nation can only survive and thrive when it stays at ground zero of Golgotha. 
Friend, you and I, both the unsaved and the saved alike, I need to discover that what's at the cross is our country's need in this desperate day. It was President Ronald Reagan who once said, if we lose freedom here, speaking of America, there's no place to escape to. And then Dr. Bloom, he said, this is the last stand on earth. Oh, that's a statement that haunts me tonight. That is a statement that hangs on to my heart tonight. That is a statement that absolutely hits the bullseye tonight. And what America needs, whether it be a saint, a sinner, or a said society, whatever America needs is found right at the cross, uh, right at Mount Calvary, right at Golgotha. Whatever America needs is found at the cross. Quickly, let's notice tonight uh, four, four not so obvious truths that are found in the shadow of the cross America needs. And they're all seen here in Luke chapter 23. Let's quickly notice it tonight. America in the shadow of Calvary. Number one, supplication. Verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A not so obvious truth that's in the shadow of the cross, American needs is supplication. In verse 34, uh, the apostle Luke tells us that moments after the lovely Lord Jesus Christ is nailed uh, to the favored, to the favored means of execution by the Roman government to the cross, his voice uh, by the carpenter is heard in prayer for others while shedding his uh, royal, rich, and redemptive blood for the sins of all the world. He takes but a second to give saints a tutorial on supplication, the ascent of prayer, Father, the aim of prayer, forgive them, and then the advocacy of prayer, for they know not what they do. One Bible student now in heaven for many years once said about this scene in the scriptures, perhaps uh, the most heart-searching heart prayer ever uttered by the Lord was the one asking pardon for the people responsible for his death. Sidebar, if the child of God's prayer list doesn't resemble the one that the Son of God passed out on Golgotha, we need to rip ours up and try all over again. Is it any wonder that the hymn writer would sing, I find at the cross blessed victory and grace for each step of the way. The fount of God's love is flowing free and sweeter it grows day by day. Blessed Calvary, precious Calvary, neath thy shadow I'll ever abide. Precious Calvary, precious Calvary, t'was there Jesus suffered and died. Friend, you and I need to discover that what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross, and that is supplication. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 12, then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. 
Don't miss this. Prayer is not only the lifeline of the Christian and the church, but prayer also is the lifeline of the country. Oh, what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross. And what's found in the shadow of the cross is supplication. Not all that long ago, I had read that on December 14th, 1944, General George S. Patton asked his chaplain, James O'Neill, to write a good prayer for better weather in the Battle of the Bulge. The chaplain uh, there halted and hesitated by the Osborne, and Patton said, and don't get nervous, I won't give you the exact Patton quote. You should be happy about that. The chaplain halted and hesitated, and then Patton said, are you teaching me theology or the chaplain of the Third Army? After working out the logistics, uh, logistics, each member of the Third Army, approximately 250,000 uh, at the time, was issued a small card. The next day, oh my, the weather cleared and remained perfect for about six days while the Third Army pushed north to relieve the 101st Airborne at Bastogne. God answered the prayer which was passed out to the men and Patton pinned a bronze star medal on Chaplain O'Neill. The prayer said, Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains uh, which we've had to contend Grant to us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee that armed with thy power, we may advance from victory to victory and crush the opposition and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice upon men and nations. Oh, can I go ahead and preach for a moment? Whoop goes right there because as a result of that prayer, you and I tonight are not eating Wiener Schnitzel or speaking German. What America needs, oh, I wish somebody helped me preach tonight. What America needs is found in the shadow of the cross. And what's found in the shadow of the cross is supplication. Amen. Number two, and I know I'm going to get stuck here. Number two, selflessness. Look at it, verse 35. The people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ chosen of God. Uh, not so obvious truth, uh, it's in the shadow of the cross. America needs is selflessness. In verse 35, the apostle Luke tells us that uh, mostly the crowd around Calvary is both verbally and physically cutting, critical, and caustic towards the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. If a person should doubt that uh, even for a second, then all they need to do is look at that seven-letter word derided, which means to laugh at someone uh, in a way that shows you think they're stupid or of no value. I must confess, 
that when preparing this message and coming to this section of Scripture where we are right now, before I could even think of it, I just said out loud with tears in my eyes, don't talk to my Jesus that way. Dr. Bloom, before I could even think of it, preparing this message when, when I was right here at this part of the message and seeing this in the Scripture, before I could even think about it, I just said out loud, don't talk to my Jesus that way. Within the fabric of this old, old story of Jesus and His love is the fold of truth that's truly the missing doctrine of our fundamental churches, the selfless life, or better known as the crucified life. Dr. Lee Robertson, who preached many times uh, from this uh, platform, uh, once said, uh, this is without question the reason so many Christians are failing in their service. They've not died to self. Friend, you and I need to discover that what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross, and that is selflessness. Now, in the nearly 43 years that I've been saved and preaching and on the revival road, Brother Osborne, I can count on one hand the sermons that I've heard from start to stop. Count on one hand the sermons I've heard from start to stop on the crucified life. And it's in the Bible just like the new birth. It's in the Bible, just like the rapture. It's in the Bible, the crucified life. It's in the Bible, just like tithing. And Dr. Bloom, it's been my experience that I can count on one hand the sermons that I've heard on the crucified life. Listen, friend, I call it the missing doctrine in our fundamental churches. Friend, you and I need to discover that what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross, and that is selflessness. Now, there are several traits of the believer that's currently living the crucified life, all found in this scene in the Scriptures. And I've deliberately worded it currently, because if you know anything about living the crucified life, sir, ma'am, you know that you could have been living the crucified life before the service and not be living the crucified life in the service. It's kind of like them announcements. Every time I hear them, I want to hang myself. I hate announcements. I got to tell you, I hate them. But back to the sermon. It is possible, it is possible for you to be living the crucified life before the service and not be living the crucified life in the service. Or it's possible to be living the crucified life, oh my, in the service and not be, Brother Osborne, living the crucified life after the service. You see, if you know anything about living the crucified life, you know it's extremely delicate. Now, there are several, there are several traits 
There are several characteristics of the believer that's currently living the crucified life, and they're all found in this scene in the Scriptures. First of all, they don't retaliate when you destroy their property. Verse 34, and they parted his raiment and cast lots, a trait of the believer that's currently living the crucified life, all found in this scene of scriptures, uh, is they don't retaliate when you destroy their property. Uh, most really honest believers, Dr. Bloom, will tell you and I that they're living about a hundred miles from this truth. Most really honest believers. Say, Dr. Hamlin, not me. I'm, I'm living the crucified life. Okay, all right, okay. Well, after the service, you, you point out which vehicle is yours out in the parking lot. And you let me borrow your keys. And I'll go ahead and sign the driver's side door and put my life first too. And we'll see who's living the crucified life. <laughs> Don't bow your head. We're nowhere near closing in prayer time. You see, a characteristic of someone who is currently living the crucified life is they don't retaliate when you destroy their property. Secondly, they don't react when you disparage their person. Verse 35, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. A trait of the believer that is currently living the crucified life as seen from this scene in scriptures is they don't react when you disparage their person. One of the fastest ways to determine that one is living the selfless life is when they appear on the front page of a supermarket tabloid or their ugly twin sister on an internet podcast or an internet blog. They don't even change their facial expression when they're told. They don't react when you disparage their person. Would you look at what Jesus said here in Luke 23 when they mocked him made fun of him. Would you look what he said? You say, well, Dr. Hamlin, he, he didn't say anything. That's exactly right for the carpenter. He didn't say anything. And I'm preaching to some Christians tonight in this service and watching by way of internet that you think you always have to have the last word. You think you always have to give your side. You think you've got to win every argument? I'm preaching to some husbands and wives tonight. Bless your heart. That you got war going on at your house. And the reason you got war going on at your house, and by the way, the sad thing about it, it's in front of your children. You got war going on at your house over uh, which way the toilet paper comes off the roll. I mean, World War III? How you squeeze the toothpaste tube? Whether you squeeze it at the bottom or you squeeze it in the middle. And Dr. Bloom, there are couples in this service right now that have gone to war over less than that. Pardon me, is that going to matter a million years from now? Is that going to matter a hundred years from now. 
What about this? Is it going to matter a hundred minutes from now? It's not going to matter. But yet, uh, we're not living a crucified life, and we think we've got to win every argument, got to win every battle, got to win every debate. And the whole time, uh, our homes uh, are missing uh, uh, that spirit that could be there because of a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a brother or sister who just won't die to self. Thirdly, they don't respond when you disdain their position. Verse 37, and saying, If thou be uh, the king of the Jews, save thyself. Oh, a trait of the believer that is uh, currently living the crucified life, uh, all seen from this scene in the scriptures, is they don't respond when you stay in their position. The kickback that comes from saying to a headstone, Listen, you aren't a very good. Uh, Preacher, teacher, uh, Sunday school bus driver, choir director, choir member, uh, church organist, church pianist, uh, deacon, treasurer, butcher, baker, <laughs> or candlestick maker will also echo the kickback when you say that same thing to the believer that lives in the climate of Calvary. Oh, that every person that was in this service would realize the traits of those that are currently living the crucified life are they don't retaliate when you destroy their property. They don't react when you disparage their person and they don't respond when you disdain their position. Hey, Christian, instead of winning every battle, instead of winning every war, Instead of winning every fight, how about just living the crucified life? Amen. Got a bunch of people who think it's their mission in life to go around giving people pieces of their mind. I'm telling you, you're going to run out. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're going to run out. I'm telling you, you're going to run out. What America needs, it's right here. What America needs is in the shadow of Calvary. And what's in the shadow of Calvary is selflessness. Hey, the answer to America, it's not, it's not a donkey. God help, it's not a donkey. And on the heels of that, I have to say, the answer to America, well, that's not even cold in your ears. I've got to say, the answer to America is not, it's not an elephant. The answer to America is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's the answer to America. And part of that is selflessness. Dr. Lee Robertson, for years, when he was the founder president and even chancellor of the Tennessee Temple University in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Dr. Lee Robertson would keep uh, Brother Osborne, you know it, in the college bookstore. The two books he said changed his life. They were written by the same author and both of them were on the very same subject. 
Not long ago, I had those books come into my possession and read them with great blessing, favor, and benefit. Before I give uh, their titles, let me share that D. Uh, McCall Barber once wrote on one of those pages in God's plan and purpose and through his divine provision, we must die or remain unfruitful. The names of the two bomb-bound volumes that transformed Ali Robertson was When Did You Die and How to Die Daily. Selflessness. Number three, I have to hasten. Soul winning. Verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A not so obvious truth that's in the shadow of the cross America needs is soul winning. In verse 43, the Apostle Luke tells us that while the lovely Lord Jesus Christ is dying for the sins of the world, He takes the time to deliver a sinner by being a deliberate, personal soul winner. Dr. John R. Rice once wrote about this inspired incident. As far as we know, this is the only person converted during those six awful hours of the crucifixion, he went on to write, if there are others, they're not recorded. God wanted, Dr. Rice wrote, this thief to be an example for all of us who are sinners alike, and the way one is saved is the way all are to be saved. Amen, Dr. Rice. And thank you for that comment. And may I add, in the main job of the Christian and the main job of the church uh, is getting sinners to Calvary. That's the main job. The devil will try to distract us. The devil will try to derail us. The devil will try to discourage us from the main job of the Christian and of the church. Soul winning. Soul winning. Soul winning. Hey, I've got to interject right here that if your theology, oh my, if your theology has a problem with a gospel track, your theology has problems. Soul winning. Pardon me. I, for one, don't want to hear you say even one negative word about abortion clinics, bars, taverns, saloons, tattoo shops, cannabis dispensaries, casinos, houses of ill repute, drug dens, crooked politics, nationally or locally, civil unrest, or even students being two minutes late uh, for class at the lo local public high school when you have not passed out one gospel track in 30 days. Anybody can talk about the problem? Brother Osborne, anybody can dialogue and debate and discuss the problem. But here's the answer. Friend, you and I need to know that what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross. And what's found in the shadow of the cross is soul winning. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that with his souls is wise. 
I was preaching in Dixon, Tennessee last fall in a jubilee where I preach every year and have for years. And after the Sunday morning service, I was standing at the door and Dr. Bloom, a young lady came to me and she said, Dr. Hamlin, I'd like to ask you a question. She said, every speaker that comes to preach here, I ask them the same question. And I'd like to ask you, sir, if I could. And I said, yes, ma'am, how can I help you? And she said, uh, here's my question. She said, uh, those angels, uh, the one-third, uh, that rebelled against God with the devil, the ones that didn't rebel, did God take from them their ability to choose between right and wrong? That was the question. And I, uh, I said, excuse me? And she backed up and she said, uh, those angels in, in heaven, the one-third that rebelled with the devil, uh, the ones that didn't rebel, and, and Brother Osborne, I got to tell you, my head was hurting. I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out what she was saying. My head was hurting. It still hurts now from it. She's, and here we are right at the door, and, and there's a long line of people waiting, and, and she's asking this question. She said, those angels that rebelled, the one-third in heaven with the devil against God, the ones that didn't rebel, did God take from them their ability to choose between right and wrong? I said, ma'am, that's a question for heaven's management department. I'm in heaven's recruitment division. And let's just say in passing, when she asked that question, I smelled a Calvinist and they all stink. I said, I smelled a Calvinist and they all stink. I said, I smelled a Calvinist and they all stink. <laughs> you ain't going to believe it. I was landing. You ain't going to believe it. I was there and I didn't believe it. I was landing Saturday, Dr. and Mrs. Bloom in Jacksonville. Florida, I had witnessed to a man on the flight. He may be watching my way of internet, and I hope he is. And I witnessed to him, and he said he was saved. And then he said to me, do you know what a Calvinist is? I said, I do. He said, I am one. And wanted to argue. I don't argue the Bible. I said, I don't argue the Bible. I said... I don't argue the Bible. Either you take it for what it says or you don't. I'm not going to argue with you. So he wanted to argue. And by the way, he couldn't get, he couldn't get enough martinis between Detroit and Jacksonville and he wants to argue the Bible with me. So the pilot comes on the PA and tells us we're cleared for landing and put up your snack trays and fasten your seatbelt and put things away. We're getting ready to land. And I mean, if I'm lying, I'm frying. We're getting ready to land. And he turns and looks at me and he says, calls my name. And he said, I'm going to be praying that you become a Calvinist. <laughs> and I turned and looked at him and I said, and I'm going to be praying that you become a Biblicist. What America needs is not you going down deep and you staying down long and you trying to impress people 
with what you think the Bible says when it doesn't say it. What America needs is soul winning. Evangelist Lester Roloff, God bless his sainted memory, once said, if you want to save America, then you've got to get Americans saved. Soul winning. And then number four, and last of all, my time is gone. Not only supplication and selflessness and soul winning, but number four, and last of all, steadfastness. Verse 52, this man uh, went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. A not so obvious truth that's in the shadow of the cross America needs is steadfastness. The word steadfastness means uh, the quality of being resultly or dutifully firm and unwavering. In verse 52, the Apostle Luke tells us that a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, steps forward and tells Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, that he would not only take the body of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ, oh my, but also put it in his own tomb. This single act, and he certainly knew it, would identify him not only uh, to Christ, but also to his cause forever. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said about Joseph, it may be how with the church is when a standard bear fainteth, and the host is ready to melt with dismay, but there should be found other standard bearers, uh, and the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ will wave over all. Breaking news, what Joseph of Arimathea had wasn't the popular Hollywood Christianity that's seen in this hour across the country that has no depth, uh, duty, or devotion to anything that is truly biblical. Friend, you and I need to discover and what America needs is found in the shadow of the cross. And what's found in the shadow of the cross is steadfastness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, child of God, old-fashioned loyalty to the King James Bible your spouse, your children, your convictions that you claim to hold, the house of God, the flag, the country uh, you call home, and all things Americana would turn this grand old ship around and back to God within 24 short hours. We scream bloody murder and well we should about the liberals in Washington. And well, we should. But I want you to hear me and hear me well tonight. That you drop in your King James Bible. You not being faithful to a spouse. You not holding the convictions that you told us you had. You leaving a fundamental church to join the gourd, the grape, the gathering, or whatever it's called right now. I want you to know that you're doing more to hurt this country and all the liberals in Washington right now. Steadfastness.
steadfastness. Steadfastness. Thank you, Dr. and Mrs. Bloom, for all these decades of being steadfast. Thank you for not wavering. Thank you for not waffling. Thank you for staying in the old-time way. That's what America needs. Steadfastness. I'm closing with this. The name John Hancock. Oh, I got to say it. (laughs) I got to say it. John Wayne will do more for America than a Pee Wee Herman. I said to John Wayne, like it, lump it, bump it, jump it, take it across the street and dump it. A John Wayne will do more for America than a Pee Wee Herman. I'd rather listen to John Wayne teach Sunday school through the millennial reign of Christ than Pee Wee Herman make announcements. How slick, wasn't it? See how I did that? That was slick. I'm going to sign my own Bible when I get done. That was so slick. Steadfastness. Thank you, Central Baptist Church, for standing. There are people in this service that you've been a member of this church for years and years and years. In fact, years is the wrong word. Decades is the better word. Thank you. Christian School Administration, thank you. Thank you for being steadfast. Thank you. I appreciate it. I watch a crowd when I preach, and I can tell who has a tummy ache when I'm preaching. And often they don't need a Tums, they need a case of Tums. And as I've been preaching in the Christian school, Dr. Bloom, I've been watching some folks. I can't help it, just, just what I do. And everybody's been plugged in. Faculty, administration, everybody's been on board. Nobody looked like they had a dirty diaper. That's a word picture, isn't it? Thank you, faculty. Hello. Thank you, administration. Thank you, teachers. Because steadfastness will do more for this country than you and I can even imagine. I'm closing with this. The name John Hancock is certainly familiar with all who love America. He was the president of Congress when the Declaration of Independence was adopted and signed. His signature, oh my, was first on that forever historical document. And Dr. Bloom, you know, in the largest 3.1 square inches in size, he was asked why his signature was so large, and he reportedly said, so that the fat old king could read it without his spectacles. King George III of Great Britain. And from all the way uh, to the White House, uh, uh, through the church house, uh, and down to your house, that's exactly the spirit that's needed in this country. 
at this very second, steadfastness. Look at our text, if you would. Calvary. That's what America needs. Calvary. Everything our country needs is in the shadow of Calvary. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.